Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of February 9th, Snowdrift. I'm your host, Dan Creter, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the winter widening in credit and where we think spreads will ultimately land. Finally, we conclude with a discussion on supply during this heavy period of the year and how it will continue to evolve over the rest of February. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Okay, Dan, well, we are back here with another High Quality Spreads episode after taking last week off for a uh, monthly roundtable edition with the broader team. And in the past two weeks, I think the broader story in credit has not changed much. Spread still moving wider. We've had four consecutive weeks of widening on the broad IG index here, although it does seem like the pace of widening is slowing down. Maybe some of the factors that were driving that widening have abated a little bit. I'll just kick it to you right off the bat. How has your view on credit changed in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, it's interesting. I think in the first four weeks of the year, the real narrative was that credit spreads had outperformed some of the fundamental drivers that we follow, including equity prices and financial conditions broadly. That's kind of shifted over the past couple of weeks where we've seen credit actually start to underperform those metrics as financial conditions have improved. Equity markets have really found their footing and started to rise from their lows at the end of January. Credit continues to underperform. We've seen spreads under pressure, even while the broader landscape has moved marginally more constructive here. It's playing out largely, I think, how we expected the credit markets to evolve this year, but it's happened a lot more quickly than we were expecting. We were expecting spreads to find some weakness later in the first quarter or early second quarter. We sit here in the second week of February, and credit spreads are about seven basis points or so off of their 2021 highs. It seems like they're just drifting right now a little bit wider really a lot of uncertainty in the market. And I don't think we're going to see much clarity until the March FOMC. Yeah, it does definitely seem that tone has improved here in the past couple of weeks. I think last week, credit tried to narrow a little bit. We had a couple of Fed speakers coming out and sort of talking down the odds of a 50 basis point hike. Seems like the Fed wanted to either message 25 or more likely just keep all options on the table so as to not quote-unquote, disappoint the market in either direction. And so a little bit more dovish talk after the January FOMC and spread sort of tried to mount a bit of a comeback, which ultimately faded last week on Thursday and Friday, finishing wider on the week. A similar story so far this week. Again, it feels like risk on, but credit sort of still just struggling. And I think we have to acknowledge the fact that spreads haven't really moved despite the risk on tone in equity markets. And they haven't moved alongside pretty light supply thus far this week, at least until today. 
Yeah, supply yesterday was very light. And I think that tone we saw yesterday on Tuesday, I think was pretty important. We had five borrowers and they were just testing the market after a goose egg on Monday and really light supply in recent weeks. Borrowers priced deals very wide to secondaries yesterday. It was the largest average new issue concession that we've had since 2020. And while the tone was not nearly as dire as it was in 2020, there were some similarities that I think are worth pointing out. We saw order book coverage actually step higher as issuers were pricing these deals to get some orders and to get these deals off, just reflective of the more negative tone. So it'll be interesting to see what metrics look like today. We have eight borrowers in the market. So that's something that we'll be watching closely, but really tepid tone in primary markets. Primary markets are decidedly open, but the levels we've gotten are hardly encouraging for would-be borrowers. And I think it's something that a lot of issuers are tracking right now. Yeah, for sure. And supply isn't going to stay on the sidelines for much longer, especially during the time of the year when supply is always the heaviest. And also with rates and spreads moving the way they are, a borrower may not even be that well served by waiting out better market conditions. You might wait and then all of a sudden both rates and spreads are wider, you know, so maybe paying a bit of concession now makes sense. I think, you know, you look to the end of last week, that Rogers deal that clearly didn't go according to plan and maybe the borrower doesn't want to be the next into market after that. You don't want to risk an outcome that falls well short of expectations. But once you see the market thaw a little bit, wouldn't surprise me to see these borrowers flood right back into the market, given where we are in terms of future expectations for rates and spreads. And given the backdrop you just described, I think when that supply returns at full force, you could continue to see the primary leading secondary wider. And, you know, I guess backing up to a more broader view of what you said earlier, 2022 thus far has really played out in line with our expectations. I do agree that it happened faster at the beginning of the year, but coming into the year, we were expecting a widening in credit spreads with our targets about 125 basis points we laid out in December. And I think those remain appropriate. I just think it's going to be a bit of a slow grind or a drift, calling back to the title here, a drift wider in the next couple of weeks. Like you said, to the March FOMC, which is really going to be a watershed moment for credit. And we can talk maybe just a bit more specifically about the widening here, because I think there are some interesting parallels when you compare the current environment to previous ones. And one way I looked at it yesterday was I went back and I looked at other episodes where the broad IG index had widened for four consecutive weeks or more. It actually hadn't happened that many times, just 16 times over the past decade. And there were some interesting trends that came out of that. First, if you remove the COVID widening of 2020 and call that an outliner, that leaves 15 instances of spreads moving wider on four consecutive weeks. And in those timeframes, the average spread widening from a magnitude's perspective was 20 basis points. In the current four-week widening, which began on January 7th, we've widened 15. So slightly outperformed there. But another really interesting nugget I found was that if you look back to the end of 2021, in November, really, we had another widening episode. Between November and December, spreads moved about 14 basis points wider, and they widened in four consecutive weeks. So we had you know the December market lull, and really, you can maybe look at that as sort of an interruption to a broader widening that really started in November. And if you think about it that way, I went back and I looked for similar instances where we had two durable losing streaks and credit spreads placed very close together. And there were three other such instances, the most recent one being in late 2018, when spreads started moving wider in October, there was a little bit of a firmer patch and then resumed widening again. And I think the main takeaway I took from that was in all three of the instances prior to this one, the initial leg wider in credit spreads was much smaller than the secondary move. And actually, to put it in numbers, in all three instances, the move was at least twice 
in the secondary widening than the first one, and as much as four times. So put, let's put that into actual numbers. Back in October 2018, spreads widened about 10 basis points or so until they firmed up in November. Then on the secondary widening, they moved an additional 29 basis points wider, so almost three times. In the current environment, we had a 14 basis point or so back up in November, and in the last four weeks, it's been a 15 basis point move. So maybe that is ultimately where spreads land, but if the historical precedent tells us anything, it's that when you see this fundamental shift in credit spreads, like what I'd argue we're seeing now, where the market is repricing to a new normal in terms of financial market conditions and Fed rate policy, you tend to see a more significant move in that secondary drop. And if that's the case, we would expect spreads to continue widening, maybe another 10 or so basis points. And that brings us right on top of our targets. And I think you've also done some work on this as well, Dan, looking at spreads from a fundamental perspective using models. Yeah, that's right. I think you mentioned the momentum. I think that's a strong factor here. Our econometric model for high-grade credit spreads currently calls fair value at around 125 basis points. It's actually five basis points narrower than we had a week ago. But like I mentioned earlier, just a firming of some fundamental measures has caused that fair value to narrow a little bit, even though spreads have continued to widen here. And so I do think around 125 basis points makes a lot of sense for our targets, just given the uncertainty that's pervading the market. Estimates for Fed rate hikes in 2022 seem very varied across the street. We've seen calls for as few as three or four rate hikes this year, and as many as seven. The market's currently pricing to five and a half. And if you're an all-in yield buyer, it's a really unattractive proposition right now as rates continue to march higher and higher, getting in line with this increased market pricing. We have tomorrow's CPI print that might result in more Fed rate hikes priced in. It just doesn't seem like an attractive environment for credit buyers right now with spreads well within historical averages of around 150 basis points. So I think we're going to continue to drift wider, particularly as this uncertainty prevails. And particularly as this uncertainty prevails. 125 is exactly what the model calls for right now. It's important to remember that that's a moving target that could change in coming weeks. But right now, I think that's a fair target and we'll see what happens when we get there, where fundamentals are pricing to, and to your point, where the momentum is in credit markets. Yeah, so I think suffice to say here, we still hold to the idea that spreads will continue to widen here. It'll likely be a drift just over the next couple months, nothing of any large magnitude here. But I think we should acknowledge here at this point that our target's about 125 on the broad IG index. And today, at least where it closed yesterday, ice Bamel index sits at 110 basis points. So, you know, I think we're within shouting distance for sure of our targets. And at that point, it's probably a good idea to start thinking about what the next phase of the outlook is, what the next move in credit spreads might be. So timing obviously open for debate, but I do think like you said, just given the uncertainty around the Fed and inflation right now, it's tough to see spreads moving meaningfully narrower for sure in the current environment until we get some more clarity. So I wanted to transition the conversation to what are the factors going to be that drives the next leg of credit spreads once we get to our targets or even if we don't quite get to 125? What are going to be the determinants of the next move? And I think from that perspective, there's going to be two questions that need to be answered first. The first one is, are we seeing signs of inflation moderating? Because that's going to be the key question. And truly, when you look at it from a broader perspective, we're really not going to be able to get any meaningful evidence on that question until probably April, May, June of this year. All expectations are for CPI to stay high through the first half of this year. And that also leads back to the quote-unquote drift theme we've talked about in that 
spread's really probably not going to move sharply in either direction from here until there's more certainty there. So I'm thinking, you know, we'll, we'll get to our 125 or somewhere close and probably be range bound, technically driven for weeks or months until some of that inflation data starts to roll in. And we'll start to find out if inflation's moderating. If it's not, I think then our targets are way too low because then we're clearly in an environment where the Fed is behind the inflation curve. It's not I hesitate to use transitory here, but it's not transitory at all, really, as most people are expecting. It's clear that something has fundamentally changed in the post-pandemic economy. Inflation is here to stay, and the Fed will have to obviously be playing catch-up here. So if inflation isn't moderating by May, June, certainly, we're seeing no signs of moderation, spreads are going to continue widening. I think that's probably not even up for debate. But assuming we do start to see that evidence of moderation, what do you think will then become the key drivers of credit? Yeah, so then it's likely to focus on the consumer. And if the consumer remains strong, and that's been a real source of strength in the broad market for the past six to 12 months or so, if the consumer remains a source of strength for the market, then I think credit spreads are going to become a buy at that point. Once we start to see inflation moderate, then that's going to result in a buying opportunity for credit. But if the consumer starts to turn over and it turns out that the strength in the consumer was mostly due to that one-off surge in fiscal stimulus and that started to wear out and the consumer is weakening, then that's going to be another source of weakness, I think, for credit. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Obviously, one print is not a trend to make. But if you look at some of the most recent consumption data, it hasn't exactly been great. You look at some of the manufacturing indices, retail sales, some of the other leading consumer metrics have not been good. And maybe that's just a one-off print. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And you could actually look at the payrolls reports as sort of a microcosm of this. Because obviously, last week's unemployment report certainly caught the entire market by surprise, big time. I mean, everyone's just bracing themselves for a very poor print with Omicron affecting the levels. What we got was sort of a blowout report instead. But let's decompose that. Like the NFP number was huge. Okay, I, you know, NFP probably not as relevant going forward. We know that there are jobs out there. The question is if people are taking them. If they are, you're going to have big NFP prints. So clearly they are here. What is more important is looking at both the participation rate, and increases in average hourly earnings. And both of those data series were both increasing at a rapid pace last month. The question for me almost boils down to which of those two data series moderates first? Because in the long run, we shouldn't see those two data series moving together, right? As the supply of labor increases with an increase in the participation rate, we should see the price of labor in terms of hourly earnings compensation, we should see that come down. Now, that's not true right now because we know there's a labor shortage and at the point of labor scarcity, we can continue to see those two series moving together. But once we're past the point of scarcity or if we get past the point of scarcity, one of those two things should start to slow down. And I think that's going to be a key trend to watch in the next few months. If we start to see the participation rate slowing down, but earnings staying strong here, that's going to be, to me, a bullish sign for credit spreads because we're going to see consumption stay very strong as wages continue to rise. Now, you might say wage price spiral, but we've sort of taken into as an assumption here that inflation's moderating. If we are in a true wage price spiral, inflation's not moderating, like we said earlier, spreads will be widening. But if we get inflation moderating, but still strong, I mean, probably not as strong as today, but still strong earnings with a part rate that's flattening out, I think that's a strong case for credit. But if we see participation rate continuing to climb, getting back towards pre-pandemic levels, we probably won't reach pre-pandemic levels just given the wave of early retirements the pandemic brought on. But if we're seeing part rate continuing to move towards pre-pandemic levels and earnings starting to slow down, 
that could be an indication that spreads may continue widening again if consumption starts to slow. And a big reason for that is because you're going to need earnings to continue at a very high pace to keep up with higher interest expense with higher rates, potentially you know relatively higher input costs after the bout of inflation we've just had. You're going to need earnings to continue increasing. Otherwise, we might get to a point where we're seeing a meaningful increase in downgrades. Yeah, so we looked at this in our weekly last Friday, and if this is of interest to you, please take a look. But we modeled the impact of higher Fed policy rates on corporate balance sheets. And initially, we looked at the impact on interest expenses. So we estimate that in our base case of four rate hikes in 2022 and four rate hikes in 2023, that we're going to see interest expense increase by 9% this year and 12% in 2023. And that's going to be the highest two-year stretch of year-over-year growth in corporate interest expense since at least 2015 to 2016, and maybe even since the financial crisis. So that alone is just going to present some downside risk to corporate balance sheets. Of course, fundamentals and balance sheet strength has been a really important source of credit spread narrowing over the past year. And given these higher interest expenses, we looked then at how that is going to feed into interest coverage ratios. Interest coverage ratios are, of course, EBIT or operating income over interest expense. And so because this is going to depend on EBIT growth, we simulated three different scenarios for earnings. One where it's high and we said that's going to be in the 75th percentile of year over year operating income growth. And then one where it's in line with the median, we called that the neutral scenario. And then one of low growth, which is in line with the 25th percentile in our sample. So the bottom line is that we're expecting some amount of deterioration in interest coverage ratios unless earnings remain very strong or in line with roughly the 75th percentile of earnings growth in our sample. Now, that could be the case, but there's a lot of macro uncertainty right now, and there certainly is downside risk to earnings growth. And so if in the dire scenario that we laid out, earnings growth comes in you know, around the 25th percentile that we've seen over the past couple business cycles... That could send the median A-rated borrower's interest coverage ratio to below that of the current median triple B borrower. So unless earnings growth as a whole remains very, very strong, we're likely to see interest coverage ratios move lower. And that's just one balance sheet metric that we looked at. We could have done this with any other balance sheet metrics, but interest coverage ratios lend themselves well to an analysis of earnings expenses. But this just all goes to show that we're not necessarily going to see this amount of balance sheet deterioration, but the risks to that are very high and they're skewed to the downside. There's a lot of optimism priced in with credit spreads trading where they are, and even just a moderation of earnings from where they are currently to something in line with historical averages, that's going to lead to some fundamental deterioration in the index. And that would manifest itself with a lot of downgrades, specifically from AA to single A, A's to triple B's, and then to a lesser extent, we'd have some fallen angels risk. Yeah. And knee jerk, we're not saying anything groundbreaking here. Earnings need to stay good or we might see some downgrades. But I think quantifying it the way you did actually does put a really interesting spin on it because especially with the environment we're going to now, which is very different from the experience of last actually the whole decade really since the financial crisis, where at any point in time when we saw financial conditions meaningfully deteriorate, the Fed would ride to the rescue either with words or action and soothe the markets and bring financial conditions back to calm. That isn't necessarily going to be the case if we're having the Fed raise rates eight times and also embarking on balance sheet normalization in the next couple of years. So we could see for the first time 
and arguably since financial crisis, balance sheets actually having to weather the impact of tight financial conditions through higher earnings. And we're going to see if the consumer is up to the task. You know, it's hard to say right now, but as we look forward to the next couple months of data, I personally will be watching the consumption data at least as closely as inflation data, if not more closely. Obviously, inflation data is the trump card, but that's almost taken as an input now because either inflation is going to moderate or it doesn't. If it doesn't, we're going to have wider spreads inarguably. If it does, that's where the question lies. And Dan, just before we wrap up here, I thought we'd just spend a couple of minutes talking about supply more broadly. Obviously, it's February now. 20% of debt issuance or so in both corporate and SSA markets usually has been issued by now. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes on broader issuance trends at the moment. And uh, you know, we touched on light supply this week in IG. What are your thoughts more broadly in the IG market on the issuance side? Supply is likely to take its cue from demand in IG, at least for the remainder of February. It seems like our expectation for about $115 billion in February supply is likely to prove overly optimistic, and we're going to see supply most likely fall short of that. But I think there's a lot of issuers sitting on the sidelines just waiting to see how the market tone evolves. And today's going to be an important barometer of that. If we see the relatively heavy supply today come well-received, well, that's going to open issuance markets even further, and we're going to see more supply. But it's unlikely to come in as heavy as it was to start the year. You talked about the desire for many issuers to front run this increase in yields and in widening and credit spreads. We saw a lot of that at the beginning of the year. The question is going to be how much of that is left to be done versus has a lot of this pre-funding already happened? And then it, supply could come in lighter than expected. But we're going to learn a lot over the next few sessions. And that's what I'm going to be watching is these execution statistics in the near term. Coming into the year, we had our gross estimate for IG supply this year at $1.6 trillion. At what point do we consider dropping that? Have we reached it yet? Are some of the other indicators, I know we've seen a pretty slow start to the year in refinancing, which was obviously a big driver of the $1.5 trillion we got last year. At what point do we consider dropping that? No, I don't think we're going to drop that just yet. I think this interim period between now and, say, the March FOMC or, or even into April, we're in a little bit of a rough patch for supply just due to the vast uncertainty that's facing the market. And even if spreads do move wider in the medium term, we should see issuance start to come back just as there's going to be more appetite for debt as long as this uncertainty fades. And so I'm not looking to revise these estimates just yet. And I think we're going to see light supply for the medium term, but spreads are going to find their footing at some level. And then I do expect supply to return in force once that happens. Okay, great. I'll just spend a couple of minutes here wrapping up with some notes on issuance in the SSA market thus far, because we haven't had much supply these past couple of weeks. That happens every year in February, coinciding with the Lunar New Year holidays. But there are a couple of things worth noting. First, potentially because we haven't had as much supply, SSA executions remain quite strong. Unlike the IG market, which we talked about earlier, we're seeing concessions. We haven't really seen much of that in SSA primary so far this year. That said, the trend has been weaker on SSA order books. It's been hard to see given the constraint supply with Lunar New Year, but the most recent executions have been a touch weaker, not weak by any stretch, but touch weaker. And, and that'll be something I'll be watching when supply does return in full force, which we're expecting next week once the lingering holidays are in the past. We should see issuance come back and we'll see how the executions go. One thing to keep an eye on there is that the five-year point on the cross-currency arbitrage for SSA borrowers has suddenly become very unattractive. And that's a departure from really the last three years. I mean, if you look at SSA issuance patterns historically, 
threes and fives were always the two most popular issuance tenors, and they rivaled each other each year at about 35 40%, give or take in a year. Both of them would come in around that number in terms of annual supply. And in the last three years, really, since 2019, the three-year popularity has dropped considerably. And a big part of that has been the cross-currency ARBA. If you look at it, for the majority of the time since 2018, Issuing a five-year bond has been no more expensive than issuing a three-year bond once you take into account the cost of hedges. And so in that case, of course, you're going to issue a five. That's been that way for three years now, up until recently, really since the start of the year. We've seen a move in the five-year arbitrage in particular that has increased the cost of issuing a five-year compared to a three-year to its highest levels since 2018. So when SSA supply does come back, I think we could see more of a shift to threes and even out to tens. The 10-year looks pretty attractive on the XCCY arb right now as well, and and less reliance on the five-year tenor, which we've really grown accustomed to in the past well, really, since the pandemic, fives have been basically half of SSA supply. I do think that starts to change a little bit here, just given where the cross-currency ARB is right now. So maybe looking at positioning in fives right now or looking for buyers that like to buy in threes and tens, looking at maybe a little more concession in those tenors, given the expectation for some potentially larger than expected supply there. But otherwise, you know, high level SSA supply was relatively light in January. And we're going to see how it evolves here in February to see if, if we're going to have to lower our SSA supply estimate. Like you said, and the IG market, Dan, not there yet with SSAs, but certainly looking like the risk is to less than our 240 billion projection, not more. So we'll keep an eye on that in the weeks ahead. And Dan, I think that about wraps it up for us in high quality spreads this week. We'll be back next week where we will be talking about balance sheet normalization from the Fed. We are formalizing our estimates for the terminal level for reserves and what that means for swap spreads, credit spreads, short-term markets. So I think that will be a popular topic with investors. So look for that next week. And in the meantime, Dan, I will wish you a very happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macro horizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. 
This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. Emo assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 